Wayne, welcome to the show. Hello. So you're one of the marketing consultant ninjas here at Exposure Ninja. In fact, you are our senior consultant ninja. So maybe you could give people a bit of an introduction to what you do and also how important email is to your daily life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so on a day-to-day -day basis, I'd say my role is all about providing as much insight as possible to um, those leads, those businesses that approach us about how they can improve their marketing, what they could be doing better, um, whilst also kind of funneling those people through our amazingly powerful conversion process and uh, hopefully seeing a percentage of those ending up working with us. And an email is a tremendously powerful part of that. We've kind of refined our sales processes a lot, haven't we, over the last year or so. Um, and email has become a really, really powerful part, along with some other bits, which we'll mention here as well. Of course, of course. So the reason that we're on the podcast today is to talk about email and really how to write a good email, how to write mm. an effective email. And it's well known with an Exposure Ninja that you are one of the true masters of writing a good email. In fact, your emails uh, make up a significant portion of our internal how to write an email training. Um, so before we dig into exactly what makes a good email, perhaps we could um, talk about why email, despite really being a fairly old technology, is so prevalent today and why it's such an important part of a digital marketing and really a sales process. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the key thing that a lot of people forget with email is, is even though it is outdated in inverted commas, because we've got all of these other, other strategies from chatbots through to telephone marketing and all of this, it's still a really direct contact point for people. Mm. Um, and it's a, a really easy way to connect with people that, that doesn't feel like they're making a, a big commitment to you. Like if you're making a phone call to someone, someone's got to consciously make a choice of whether they answer that phone call. With an email, the chances are, so long as your email's been structured well, so long as your subject line is where it needs to be, they're going to open the email. If it gets to their inbox, they're going to open it. And, and that's kind of half of the battle because once they've opened it, you can then be funneling them through to kind of the next step where you want them to be going in your own process if they're a lead or someone you want to be working with and i guess it's worth saying at this point there's really two different types of email isn't there there's the personal emails that you'd send out one-on-one -on -one, which we'll mm -hmm. be talking about and also the automated emails which go out as part of a, a kind of automated email marketing funnel right and we use both types here yeah at yeah absolutely and and the interesting thing is Certainly with uh, a lot of businesses that, that we deal with, a lot of leads that we deal with, people tend to be terrified, more so I think, of the, the automated email side of things. Um, there seems to be a real big fear around setting up automated email marketing and, and feeling like email marketing might work well for some businesses, but it doesn't work well for my business. My kind of leads are not the people that are gonna engage well with an, an automated email, and I think the interesting point about that is it kind of misses the point of automated email because if automated email is being done well, no one should know that it's an automated email. Um, I think depending on the industry you're in, you can become a little bit jaded around it. Like within the world of internet marketing and marketing consultancy and all of that, I think we can get really used to seeing 
automated emails and we know that they're automated emails because mm. we're involved in marketing all day every day and because of that we think that it's not so effective but when you're talking about like for instance a local plumber or a local wedding photographer or any kind of local business like that people are just not first of all expecting an automated email marketing campaign so if you're sending out a well-written automated email that seems personal it's going to work really well Mm. and maybe that's the first lesson of of this episode is that treating them as completely different things is is often a mistake isn't it actually you Mm. want to have the same um the same uh, attitude towards your automated email structure as you do to a personally written one i remember the first time we implemented a full marketing funnel led automation sequence in Infusionsoft so what we mean by that is people get different emails at different stages of the marketing funnel um, we we just had a very very tough summer this was in the very early days of EN and, and we'd had to let a whole bunch of people go I remember doing that and then moving over to Infusionsoft we were able to go for a sales team of four down to a sales team of one and double mm. our sales whilst doing that because we had the power of all the automation in place. So, yeah. you know, the potential for scale and leveraging people's time. If you're in a sales team or you're a business owner and you find yourself sending out the same sorts of email all day, every day, that should be automated, but it shouldn't be automated as in, you know, this big fancy HTML newsletter, which as you say, as soon as you see it, you're like, well, that's automated, delete, next one. It's it's about taking that personal approach at scale, really, isn't it? No, absolutely. Like there's, I think it's really interesting that a lot of small businesses, medium-sized businesses when they're getting started, often think that the thing to do is come across as a big organization and to send automated emails that come from customer support team or client management team and all of this stuff when there might only be like two people in the business or or whatever and I think that's actually completely the wrong thing to do like you actually want people to feel that every email they're getting is a personal email like within our sales processes within Exposure Ninja for sure I think people would be quite surprised if they realized the amount of leverage that is plugged into the, the sales systems that we've created because I would say maybe 70% of the emails are leveraged automated emails, but they're Mm. also completely personalized Mm. because of how we've got things set up. And they always come from an individual, whether that individual's you, whether that individual's me, it's never a info at exposureninja.com email address with kind of a generic sign off at the end. Um, I think that's a really, really important point. Yeah. It's a key distinction is that I think one of our most successful emails in that it stimulates an action is just simply, hey, just wanted to see how you found the marketing plan that we sent over. I mean, that, it, yeah. so it's automated, but it's also impossible to ignore, really, because yep. you're not sure it's in that kind of gray area. Or oh, is this Tim writing to me or is this Wayne? Yeah. You, know, you don't know, do you? No idea. And also the subject lines and how you use the subject lines, like, Something I find really powerful within um, subject lines is just using really casual conversational subject lines, but also subject lines that are going to build intrigue. So when it's things like our uh, marketing proposals that we've sent out, um, we obviously know behind the scenes because of our clever setups and what we've got going on, whether people have accessed marketing plans, whether people have accessed proposals. But if they've not engaged, we still want to be working on the presumption 
that they haven't. So they believe that they need to engage with us in order to actually progress things forward. And just sending an email that has a subject line like, re, did you receive this? Question mark. Like, they're going to open that. Mm. Like, they're going to open that because it seems so personal and it's from an email address that they've engaged with previously. That's the other significant point. We're not talking about spamming people and using tricky subject lines to get randomers to open spam-based emails. We're talking about engaging with people that hopefully have requested to hear from us, have requested to hear from whatever business is looking at their email marketing. So yeah, treating it as a conversational approach, I think makes a really big difference. It's about coming across as informal, conversational, and kind of matching who you are as an individual and also matching what the brand is like. And that's something I think that, yeah, we should cover later on as a, a really powerful, important lesson around digital marketing and email marketing. I know that's one of your key principles, isn't it? It's around mm. building the persona. So yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that um, in a bit. For now, what I wanted to do is just run some different scenarios past you and just get yeah. your feel on how you'd approach an email in each of these different situations. Whilst this might seem like a kind of trivial matter, I think actually you think about emails in a very um, structured and, and sensible way. And I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily come to the same conclusions as you, hence why we use you for the training. So let's just imagine that you're working for a business, let's Explosion Ninja, for example, and someone, uh, we hey. get an inbound lead from somewhere from a contact form or something that just says, hey, we're looking to get a website built, wonder if you can help. So what's your approach there? How are you looking to kind of move that person forward? So first of all, the really important point is understanding what you want as the business, as the individual replying to that lead, what do you want the next step to be uh, as a result of replying to that email? So certainly for us, we use email as a tool, but our aim is to get people from email onto a phone call as quickly and efficiently as possible. Because we know once we've got people on a phone call, we can dive much better into their business. We can really get all the info that we need to be able to rapidly inform correctly around what needs to be worked on, what we need to be paying attention to. So I think with that kind of email, um, whatever business you're in, whether it's a local plumber, whether it's us at Exposure Ninja, have that next step in mind. So for me, I'm always thinking, right, yes, we can definitely help them. And then saying, right, the next step is. So I would always respond by saying, huh, yeah, that absolutely sounds like something we can help with. It would be really good to learn a bit more about your business, your goals, what you're looking to achieve as a result of this website. Click on this link below to book a, a call with me and we can have a chat about what the best next steps might look like. And that's really important because it could be tempting. Like if someone's just said, can you help us with a website? The answer might be no, because you might end up speaking to them and finding out that the scope of what they're looking for is way off what your level of expertise is. Or if you're a plumber and they've inquired and said, we're looking for information on if you can help with this boiler, like you don't know enough information to be able to give an informed decision, an informed answer on that. But you don't want to reply like that. You don't want to say, well, possibly, because we do build websites, but I don't know enough yet. You want to give absolute confidence to that person that you can help them and then encourage them to take the next step. So that's about giving that definitive answer first. Yeah, absolutely, it sounds like something we can really help you with. As a next step, click on the link below, book a call with me, and let's dive into the details of where we can best help and, and what kind of site you're looking for. So the other thing that's important there is your clarity on what the next step is and giving them that specific call to action means that you've just 
shortcutted the communication from potentially you could say yes would you like a call to discuss and then they reply say yes then you say what sort of time works well they give a time then you confirm which could be five or six steps whereas you said yes here's my calendar book a call now so that takes it down to two steps very quick very efficient and you're being completely clear about what they're supposed to do now aren't you absolutely and that's really interesting as well because i remember back in the day many years ago when we basically used to work in that kind of way, we'd get people that wanted to book a call with us to schedule a time via email, and then some people would have a call with us, some people wouldn't, we'd engage with people via email. The minute we transitioned to having that really clear booking process Mm. in place, it made such a huge difference to the sales process and the approach, because the other more subtle thing that goes on is it positions you completely differently, doesn't it? Because rather than saying to someone, would you like a call, and then them being in control and them dictating to you what times are available, you're basically saying, I'm really busy, I value you and would like to speak to you, here's the link for you to be able to book some of my time. And that's so different Mm. to going back and forth on six emails discussing when might be convenient for them to speak to you. Um, And the other thing around that is the, the rate of people that don't turn up to calls is so tiny when you've got people booking calls because again that positioning's there so not completely linked to email marketing but really important point because if these other elements aren't in place to link in with the email marketing you're never going to get the same level of uh, success that you could be getting and also the call booking software sends out automated emails reminding them they're yeah, important yeah. anyway so Okay, so fantastic response there. Let's say that you've had a call with someone during the sales process, things went well, they are now sending you something over a proposal or a brief or something like that. You haven't had it, you're a bit confused because it seemed like the call went well. 24 hours later, that's often the point where people are thinking, mm, should I, shouldn't I? It's a bit like after the date, like, do you contact them now? Am I being a bit keen? How would you respond? How would you approach that situation? So first of all, 100% follow up. Like you've got to follow up in that situation. If someone said to you they're gonna send something across and they've not done it, like you've got to follow up because you need to know what's going on. Like it may just legitimately be that they've forgotten. And if Mm. you don't follow up, you don't know. So there's no point in just thinking, oh, I don't really wanna follow up them. They may have decided they're not interested. They may have decided that they didn't like me after all. And and now they don't wanna hear from me. Like that's no good. So you've absolutely got to follow up, but you've got to be conversational with it. It's not about suddenly following up in a confrontational, really formal way and being like, hi there, Mr. Client. You said you're going to email me something. You've not emailed at me. What's going on? Like, that's probably not going to get the best response. So would you assume at this point that they're still keen? Because some people would say, you know, I just wanted to check to see if you're still interested or something like that. That's quite passive. Yeah, I'd 100% presume that they're still interested. 100%. In my world, they absolutely want to work with us. They absolutely want to hear more. And they must have just forgotten. Like, in my world, that's how it works. I would never presume that someone's lost interest or not wanting to proceed anymore. So I'd send an email which should say, hey, really great talking to you yesterday. Uh, really useful getting to know all that info about your business. I think there's a huge amount of potential here. You mentioned you were going to send over that design brief. I've not received it yet. Forward it over this afternoon if you can. And then... I'll get on with putting that proposal together for you. So everything's being done in a really presumptive way. It's not being done in a hesitant way. You're not asking for permission to get them to send something over. You're not going back in as though it's the first time you've spoken to them again. You're just continuing the conversation that you've already had. 
And you've even given them a timeline as well, a deadline. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So the thing I'm getting from you is there's a lot of certainty when you're communicating. Mm. How do you find that balance between being certain and being potentially bossy or coming over aggressive? Like, how do you, I know you personally find a, a balance really nicely, but is there anything that you can give us as a recommendation here? Yeah, I think it's just about keeping things conversational. Like whatever you're writing in an email, because here's something that people often forget about. If you've already spoken to someone, when they're reading the email that you're sending, they're reading that email in your voice because you've spoken to them already. Mm -hmm. If you've never spoken to someone, you've got to be a little more careful because, and I've, I've found this, even with my masterful email skills, if someone's never spoken to you before, sarcasm, irony, these kind of things don't come across so well on email because I've never spoken to you before. Mm. So they're not hearing your tone of voice when you're writing an email. If they've spoken to you before, then just be conversational. Be consistent with how you would speak to them over the phone. Write in your own tone of voice with that persona. And then I don't think you need to worry so much about being bossy because you're not really being bossy. You're just trying to help them. Mm. And I think this is the key thing. People get very wrapped up in thinking that anything that they're doing when it comes to email marketing and progressing things is salesy and then they get scared of it because they think well I don't want to come across as overly salesy and it's a, a, an intrinsic mindset issue there because if you're thinking everything you're doing is salesy you're always going to be overly cautious and it will probably always come across as salesy because you're constantly worried about that mm. whereas if you're thinking everything you're doing is in order to help the person that you're speaking to progress and hit whatever goal they've told you they want to hit then you don't really have to worry that much because whatever you're saying is said with the intention of helping them progress and move forward. Like using that example, if they don't send over the design brief, I'm not gonna be able to give them the proposal. And if I'm not able to give them the proposal, they're probably not gonna be able to hit their revenue goals that they've just spent half an hour talking to me about, which means they're probably not gonna be able to hit their dreams outside of those revenue goals, which means their life's gonna be rubbish. All because they didn't send me a design brief. Mm. So it's really important that they send a design brief and you've got to follow up as though it's important and as though you're trying to help them, not as though you're trying to get something from them. Yeah. I think that's the key thing. That's a great distinction. Okay, common sales objection. You send over your plan or whatever and someone emails back and says, yeah, I'm not going to go ahead now. The price is a bit steep, whatever. How do you respond? So the few different ways to handle this. So first of all, I'll, I'll be really honest, I'd always be keen to get someone on a call around this. I'd always be keen to get someone on a call because via email, you're gonna struggle to get to the, the, real, the real focus of whatever the objection is. So are you saying that you're not taking it on face value that the price is too high? Well, there's two different ways that this could be looked at. Either they're perceiving the service you're providing is too expensive, which means you've not demonstrated the value that you're giving for the price you're charging or they see incredible value in what you're offering they just can't afford it right now mm. and they're very different things someone telling you i've got the money in the bank i could pay you for this but i think you're too expensive is an entirely different objection to someone saying this seems amazing but i just can't afford it right now mm. they're completely different objections so I would normally respond in a way that demonstrates that I'm surprised with that answer. Because first of all, I've always spoken to someone before a proposal goes out. And in any business, you should always speak to someone before a proposal goes out. 
because it's pointless putting a proposal together for whatever, £25,000 for some service or product you're selling before you know anything about their budget, their goals, and, and all of that. So I will generally be quite surprised if someone says what you've said is, is too expensive because that's not congruent with the fact I've already spoken to them and the plan's been customized based on what we've already spoken about. So in the email I send, I will normally say something like, oh, hi, Mr. Client. Um, oh, really? That's really surprising. Would you say it's an issue around affordability or is it just the cost of, of what we're charging for is too high in your opinion? It would be great to jump on a call so that we can get to the bottom of, of what the issue is here and then include a link to book a call or be even more minimalist than that and just say, oh, that's really interesting. Are you free to jump on a call? I'd love to speak a little bit more about this to see what the, uh, the core concern is. And then again, drive people towards booking that call. Because on email, people can lie much more easily. <laughs> like that's the reality. People can say whatever via email, but when you've got them on a call, they're less inclined to, because they know that you can hear the tone of their voice, they know that you can hear the pauses and, and all of this. So it's all about just making sure that your focus in the email is getting them to take that next step, which you know is gonna be integral in getting to the bottom of what their objection is. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tend to do back and forth around email objections unless it's someone that I've already spoken to extensively that I've already closed that has then maybe backed out for some reason. And then in some instances, going back and forth via email can work well. But generally speaking, for an objection like that, it's about, ah, that's surprising. It would be great if we can jump on a call to get to the bottom of what your concerns are. Yeah. Okay, cool. And we'll come back to closing via email in, in just a minute. Um, another scenario, just really keen to get your take on this. Let's say that a listener has a client who has not paid an invoice or multiple mm -hmm. invoices. That can often be something that people are scared of approaching. How, how would you approach yeah. something like that? So again, I think it's really important to be super direct and also personal with this. Um, I think so many businesses set up their their invoicing and payment side of things in a really impersonal way. So the person that's not paid may have got like five or six reminders from the invoicing platform that's used, but probably not a single email or follow-up from an actual person, someone that's saying, hey, what's going on? Mm. Um, and it's that personal connection that will often make all the difference. I can certainly think of numerous examples where people have been significantly late with invoices that haven't received personal follow-up and then with some personal follow-up done in a strategic way which i'll cover in a second they pay like instantly pretty mm. much mm. um and it is about having that personal connection it's much easier it goes back to the same thing you said a moment ago it's easy for people to lie via email and it's easy for people to ignore an email that they perceive as an automated email but when they feel that someone's taken time to send them a personal email and it's someone that they've already got a connection with it's much harder to ignore and people are going to be more inclined to actually take the action that they need to take with that personal follow-up. Um, again, I would tend to work on the premise with that kind of email that maybe they've just forgotten, even if I know full well that's not the case. In the email that I've sent, if they've, like, if they've not paid two invoices, we know that they've not just forgotten. 
they've chosen to not pay two invoices, especially if they've got lots of different reminders. But a really bad approach would be to send an email that says, hey, you've not paid two invoices now. What's that about? Like you don't want to just go in confrontational. It's all about keeping that conf that really conversational approach to begin with. So the standard, like I always send any emails that I'm sending, whether it's a follow-up, whether it's a, a, a chasing payment, whatever it is, I'll always open the email. First of all, it's always sent to their first name. It's never sent, hey, Mr. Smith or dear Mr. Smith, we notice you've not paid your invoice. It's always conversational. Hi, John. Hope you're doing well. How's your week going? And then I'll normally use as a, a line that I'll use over and over again in all sorts of emails. I just want it to connect because and then start with whatever the email is. Because that gives you kind of a gentle way into an email that might be about to become a little more serious. Mm. Mm. And it's important to have that gentle easing in with the email rather than suddenly going completely confrontational and completely kind of aggressive with it, which can be easy to be tempted to do when it's around someone not paying, especially if you've already delivered services to them. So I'll normally start with, I just want it to connect because... And then say, I've noticed that there's a couple of invoices that are still outstanding at the moment. As you'll appreciate, this can cause us real problems. As a small business, when we've already allocated resource and already delivered services, it's really important that we keep on top of invoices and payments. And we also don't want to delay progress on the work that you're engaging us to do. Drop me an email and let me know if you've got any questions or issues with paying the invoice. Uh, if not, we really need these invoices to be settled by and then give a deadline. That's normally a pretty short deadline if they're significantly late. So you're being, again, the common thread here is extremely clear, but not mm -hmm. in a brash, offensive way. You've got this really nice balance of firm, but also fair. Yeah. And then you've also given a bit of context as to why it's important there as well, with because we're a small business, we've got resources allocated, yeah. etc. That's, that's, you're kind of you're appealing to their to their empathy as well, really. Absolutely, and sometimes it's not unusual when it's around payment to end up getting into a bit of a back and forth sometimes because not it's not always the case that people will immediately pay once you've done that personalised follow up. And once you start digging, there might be a particular reason that's personal to them or their business that they're not paying, or there might be something they're unhappy with, and that's the reason they're not paying, and they've just not been honest and upfront about this. And it's really important to, yeah, play to their better nature, essentially. Um, like something else that I'll say in that kind of email um, is, I know that you're a reasonable person and you can see why this would be an issue to us. Because just from saying that, you're kind of disallowing them being unreasonable. Mm. Because if you've said like, uh, I know that you're a reasonable person, that puts them in a bind then because they can't send a really aggressive, awful email to you then because you've just said that you think they're a reasonable person and they don't want to break that image you've got of them. So it's all about managing what their behavior is likely to be um, in relation to this as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. The power of consistency, as Cialdini would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And being direct, like you can't be afraid to follow up things like this because ultimately, like if someone's not paid you for a service that you've delivered, they're in the wrong, mm. like, and you can't be afraid to let them know that. But you'd never actually, what I'm hearing in your communication is you never actually kind of directly 
call people out and say they're wrong you know you said yourself that you're working from the assumption that they've forgotten or you're you're Mm -hmm. kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt you're not turning them into an enemy no no absolutely not turning them into an enemy but still making sure that you're referring for instance back to payment terms that have been agreed to back to terms of service that have been agreed to so they're not a big nasty evil person but it's still perfectly appropriate to say as you'll remember our terms of service state that and something else that can be a really useful tool because it again it makes it seem like you're being extra nice if your terms of service stipulate that after a certain period a late fee an administration fee is added to an invoice and a bill and they might have already got automated emails relating to that if their invoice is really late letting them know in the email look we understand that sometimes things get forgotten about so long as your invoice is cleared by the uh, this deadline and then give them the deadline will waiver the late administration fee like all of these things that make it seem like you're being the good guys that's the point like you've always got to seem like the good person in the relationship so that ultimately they feel bad about not paying Mm. so we've spoken a bit about using email at various stages of the sales process whether it's answering objections or whatever when it comes right to the end of the sales process and it's time to close there's a bit of a perception that if anything, that's the time when you want to be kind of in person as much as you can and on the phone or on Skype or actually meeting face to face. What about email? Can we use email to close? Yeah, 100%. I think you absolutely can. It also varies on the the individual prospect that you're dealing with. Some people that you'll be dealing with through the sales process, you'll learn very quickly that their preferred method of communication is telephone. And in those instances, it absolutely makes sense to leverage that and make sure that you're dealing with them via telephone because why wouldn't you deal with them in the way that they prefer? Hmm. Um, but there'll be other people who uh, are much more inclined to respond via email. And you'll know this just from the fact, are these people, because again, we've got this call booking process in place, which we recommend to any kind of service-based business to have this call booking process in place. And you can see pretty clearly what, what, when you've sent a proposal, when you've sent a plan, if someone emails back their lists of questions rather than booking a call to discuss things, you kind of know then this is someone that prefers to deal via email. And that would be someone that you'd think, well, it can probably be closed via email then. Mm. And again, it's just about not making it like a big issue. Like in your sales process, you're going to have a next step from the point of them receiving a proposal. There's going to be a next step. Like for us, it's an order confirmation. So they've gone through the proposal, they've gone through the plan, they've had their questions answered. And if they're then wanting to become a client, the next step is for them to sign the order form and confirm that they're going ahead with us. And it's about making sure that, again, your emails that are responding to their questions are just consistently pointing to that next step. Because the close isn't some big, scary, conversational thing that needs to happen. Like the close has probably already happened in their head. Your job is just to walk them through the next step in the process. Like the whole point of a proposal or a plan or whatever it is you're doing in your business in order to convert people, the whole point of that is to make the close process happen in that person's head. Mm. So they think, yes, absolutely, the best next step is for us to work with this company and to get them to deliver this service we're looking for. All you need to do to then actually close it is get them to take the next step. So. I think it's a a simple process, really. It's just about Mm. saying, oh, so that's all of your questions answered. We're really keen to make sure that you're getting started with us in time for da-da-da-da-da. Most businesses have 
waiting lists, have availability. Scarcity is always something that's really useful to keep mentioning in emails. Like certainly for us, we're busy most of the time and we have really limited availability. So normally people are booking ahead like three or four weeks and, and that's a legitimate thing. Like this isn't some only five left at this price. Like <laughs> legitimately, there's a waiting list and people, if they want to work with us, have to be quite responsive and be quite quick. And that's going to be the case for a lot of businesses. So it's just about using that scarcity in emails in an effective way. So just reiterating, here's the answer to your questions. If you are wanting us to get started in time for whatever, this date, click on the link below and sign the order form so we can get the hours reserved for you. Like it can be as simple as that. It's not something that needs to be a big drama or a big thing, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's it's again keep like you say keeping them moving. I'm I'm imagining this kind of conveyor belt that's slowly moving them forward, and then interactions are happening at different times. But they're all going in the same direction. We're not just getting pulled into random conversations. Or I'm guessing that you never really send an email without a clear goal, without getting them back on the conveyor belt and continuing to move them forward. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's about knowing every single email you send needs to have a really definitive goal hmm. whether that goal is to book a call with you whether that goal is to get them to give you information uh, about what they need so that you can put a detailed proposal together or whether that goal is to confirm the order whatever it is there needs to be that definitive goal and of course each of those goals is going to be in line with whatever your sales process actually is okay so that's i guess key principle number one is always having that clear goal what are some mm -hmm. of your other fundamental you know Wayne's golden rules come down from the mountain on the so, stone tablets. What are you teaching us? When it comes to email marketing, I think something that's really important, and we kind of mentioned it already, is having that kind, that really consistent persona. So making sure that when you're sending an email, the email is in your style. It's in mm. your voice, not switching between email version of Wayne and phone version of Wayne because people will find it really weird like you might think that it's really effective to have a formal email style but if it's not consistent with who you are like it absolutely isn't going to be effective yeah so that's a really important goal um in in my opinion with all emails that you're sending so I guess you can kind of read through the email that you're about to send in your voice once yeah. you've composed it to check wait is this actually something that i would genuinely say i think that's a good tip for automated email marketing as well before you put for something sure. in your funnel just read it out does this sound like you if not freaking make it sound like you there's no need to be this mr professional yeah no you're absolutely right and i think also another point that kind of fits into that is never be apologetic for the email that you're sending like never send an email that says I'm sorry to bother you, but, or I know you're busy, but like you want to really position yourself. If you're trying to get a client or a new customer on board, you need to position yourself as the authority in, in the situation and the people that are receiving your email. It sounds bizarre because it sounds like arrogance and it's not arrogance. It's just about positioning yourself in the right way. It goes mm. back to what you said about certainty. You want to be positioning yourself in your emails in a way that makes people feel like they're fortunate to be getting the emails from you because you're busy and you don't need to be sending these emails. Not in an arrogant way, but you never want to be apologetic. 
because you're not interrupting their day. You're serving them. You're serving them and helping them move closer towards their goals. And without those emails, you're not going to be able to do that. So that's really important when it comes to persona. Um, and then what we've already said, having a really clear goal, super important so that every email that you send out, you know, based on what your sales process is, what's the end outcome that you want to achieve? Is it booking a call? Is it closing the deal? Or is it getting them to engage further to potentially receive a proposal? You need to be really clear with that. Um, as we've said already, don't be afraid to use scarcity within mm. emails that you're sending. That might be scarcity around the availability of calls being booked with you. Like if you're getting calls booked up quite quickly, it might legitimately be the case. If they don't book a call today, they might not be able to speak to you until the next week. So let people know about that. Um, if they're wanting to work with you within a certain time frame and you know that you're getting booked up and that that option's going to disappear very soon, then again, don't be afraid to let people know about that. Mm. Um, but some other things that we've not really mentioned at all here, which I also think are really powerful, don't be afraid to use um, templated emails, even for your personalized kind of one-to-one -one follow up Because if you've got a certain sales process in place and you're dealing with a certain type of prospect all the time, there are gonna be a certain uh, amount of questions, there's gonna be a certain amount of responses which you'll get over and over again. So even though you're sending a personalized one-on-one -on -one reply to an email that's been sent to you, it can still be template-based mm. and then edited and updated for that person because you're going to learn over time, or you should do if you're paying attention to your emails, which email responses work really effectively for you and which email responses allow people to progress through your sales process in the most efficient way. So it just makes sense to set those emails up as templates. I mean, I use a platform called uh, Spark, which is available on Mac OS and available on iPhone. Um, and that's really good because you can set up predefined email templates that can even have images embedded in them. They can be named whatever you want to call them. You can set up the templates with subject lines, with the whole email already drafted out, and then it's just a one-click button to populate the email. Um, that can be really powerful. Like if we've got someone asking for testimonials or case studies, I've got a predefined email which has got all of the case studies and testimonials pasted into it, which I know works really well mm. with the one around it. So that's really helpful. That's huge. It's a leverage tool yeah. you can imagine. Once you've got a company of however many people with everyone answering, and there's really only kind of probably five to 10 different queries or types of email that you actually have to write really, isn't there? And like you say, with those longer ones, having that templated, wow, what a, what a time saver. Oh yeah, hugely. And, and something else that I find really powerful, really powerful is email tracking. Tracking whether people have opened your emails. Like this is a proper ninja, slightly underhand, but really powerful um, way of monitoring what's going on. Like if you've got a prospect that you've sent three or four follow-ups to in relation to a proposal or a plan, and you're not tracking whether the email's been opened, you've got no idea whether the reason you've not heard back is because they're not getting your emails or they're choosing to ignore you. They're opening each of your emails and choosing to ignore you. Mm. And it's really important that you know that because that's going to slightly dictate how you proceed. And that's not to say that you're gonna suddenly send an email that says, oi, my email tracking says that you've got 
<laughs> my last emails and you've not replied I'm to watching it. you. <laughs> <laughs> like, that wouldn't be an effective way to proceed. But having that knowledge yourself can be really insightful because mm. then it can allow you to adjust slightly what you're saying in your emails. Like quite often people are scared to get no as an answer. <laughs> like if you're trying to close someone, like as a, as a salesperson, there can be a real fear about that person saying, no, I'm not interested in working with you. And I think that's crazy because you want them to either say yes or no. You don't want people floating around in your email pipeline where you don't know what they're doing. Like, so if I can see that someone, for instance, hasn't opened, has opened my last four emails that I've sent them, but they've not replied, I'll send an email which says, hey, I hope you're doing well. Uh, I've not heard from you for a little while, and I've sent you a few emails over the last couple of weeks, um, but I've not had any response. I just wanted to see if you're still interested. Mm. If you're not interested in what we've talked about, no hard feelings, just drop me an email and let me know, and I'll stop following up. Like yeah. there's no harm in telling people that and, and just saying something like no hard feelings can also like relieve the feeling of, of pressure from the prospect you're speaking to. Because sometimes people feel bad about saying no. They don't want to say no. They don't want to say they're not interested. So if you open up the conversation and give them the option of saying no and say you're not going to be terribly offended, then it's all good. And, and I use a platform called getnotify.com. Um, it only costs something ridiculous, like $8 a quarter or something mad. And it basically gives you an extension that you put on the end of email addresses that tracks the opening of your emails. And it never expires, which is really cool. So like, for instance, if I've sent a follow-up email to someone a year ago with that email tracking that was attempting to close a sale, and then I've not spoken to them, not thought about them, everything's just moved on and they've gone off and done their own thing, and then a year later, they go back to that email and open it again, I'll get a notification in my email inbox that says this email has just been opened, which then means, spookily, I can then send an email within 24 hours that says, hey, Mr. Prospect, you just popped into my mind. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd see how things are going and whether you're looking for support in your marketing. And then you're into a whole new territory because then they're thinking, God, serendipity, spookiness. How did they end up emailing me just when I was looking at their emails? This is a good sign. Let's engage with them. Um, You've just shattered a thousand dreams of people who thought that fate was real, Wayne. I know, right? <laughs> terrible, terrible. They call me the dream break. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a really good point. It's a really good point. And I think by having that notification it's just kind of keeping that conveyor belt isn't it it's just another interaction it's another step on that conveyor belt to get to get to where you want to go really with them and it's letting you get slightly more inside your prospect's head that's the key thing isn't it mm. because if you sent four emails and you've not had any replies but then your email tracking shows you that they've not opened any of them well that tells you you need to call them because mm. clearly your emails aren't getting through and you need to speak to them and get to the bottom of what's going on because they may be sat at the other end feeling really cheesed off because you said you were going to send them X, Y, and Z and they've not received anything and they may be really unimpressed and you're sat at the other end scared about following up with them because you don't want to hassle them when they've not actually got any emails from you. So the email tracking can really let you get inside their head and remove a lot of the anxiety you may have about engaging with someone and likewise, 
if you know that someone has opened all of your emails and they've just not responded, again, it gives you a gauge as to where to go next. It lets you know what's going on probably in their mind. Hmm. When you said um, about giving a prospect, saying no hard feelings if the answer's no, you just want to know. Really interesting insight into your approach there because I think a lot of salespeople would be scared of giving someone a way out Right, they'd feel like, oh, if I say that, then I'm making it okay for them to say no. So if I kind of just yeah. stick to my guns, then they're definitely going to say yes. But that doesn't seem to be the the belief that you hold. No, because because it's not true. <laughs> like you you can't stop someone saying no because you've decided you're only going to let them say yes. Like that's not how life works. Like it would be weird. It would be weird if that was the case. Like I've I've always thought with sales, like. You can be the most incredible salesperson in the world, like the best closer in the world, but it's still going to be the case that the majority of people that you pitch to are going to say no. Mm. Like you can be phenomenal. Like you can be closing at a rate that is well above industry standards, like, but the majority of people you speak to is still going to be saying no. Like that's just the reality. Like that's just the nature of sales. You'll have a ratio of what your conversion rate is. If you know your conversion rate is 30% of people you pitch to close, which is actually a pretty solid conversion rate, then that still means that seven out of every 10 people you pitch to are going to say no. So you want to get those no's ticked off as quickly as possible because as you get them ticked off, you're then left with the people that you know are worth following up with because they've not said no. Yeah. And you're going to spend your time in the right areas then. Like, Otherwise, you'll spend all your time working on people that have already decided the answer is no, but you've not given the option of saying it. And all the while, you've got people that are on the cusp of going ahead with you that are undecided, and you're not giving them the attention you need to give them because you're focusing on all the people that have already decided the answer is no. Yeah. So by giving them that kind of way out, you're not actually, you're not losing potential yeses. You're just clarifying the undeclared no's, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Because people, people that were already planning on working with you aren't suddenly going to go, well, I hadn't thought of no, actually. <laughs> like, like oh, well, if you wouldn't be offended, to... then. <laughs> like they've, they've decided they want to work with you or they've decided yeah. they're almost at the point of wanting to work with you. Giving them the option of saying no isn't going to make them say no. Like, that mm. would be weird. Like, yeah, that would be strange. So, no, I don't think people need to be worried about getting a no. Like, and also you'll tend to find, or my experience is, if you're more laid back about the answers people are giving you and not seeming like you're desperate for sales, you're going to attract many more yeses anyway. Like the minute people don't think you're desperate and the minute people feel that, again, not in an arrogant way, but the minute people feel like it doesn't much matter to you whether they say yes or not because you've got queues of people that are waiting to say yes, like it shifts the dynamic in a big way because suddenly they want to then work with you because Mm. the feeling is there that they might not be able to. And it makes a big difference compared to someone that's doing everything in their power to get a yes, dropping the price, changing the package that's being offered, like changing things in terms of service just to get them as a client. Like those things are silly because you're just going to attract really bad clients. Um, It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've certainly found historically people that, uh, before they've become a client, wanting to get terms of service adjusted, wanting to get special unique payment terms, like all of this kind of thing. Those are the clients that tend to be trouble. 
like they're the people that you know further down the line are going to be causing stress and problems probably aren't going to pay and are going to create situations you only really want to be working with people where you're not having to bend over backwards where they're attracted to mm. your start working and want to work with you on that basis and that's what your emails should do sort out the people that aren't a good match because not everyone that you pitch to is going to turn out to be a good match like no one wants to be working with idiots like that's the reality no one wants yeah. to be working with idiots and your your approach needs to filter out the people that aren't a good match for you which i guess comes back to just being being yourself and being consistent because if you have a very if you if you have a different persona during the sale as you do during the delivery then you're going to get people coming through that funnel that that really aren't right are you if you're yeah, like yeah. You say bending over backwards yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Wayne. We've got to wrap up now. So I want to ask you about response times, how often you need to check emails and stuff like that. Obviously, the perception is the faster you respond, the better, right? If you want to do the best that you possibly can, you've got to have the emails on your iPhone when you're watching Love Island at night, which I know you do every night, even Always. when it's not on. You're replying to emails immediately, right? Is that the story? No, definitely <gasps> not. Like... <laughs> Um, no, Love Island gets my undivided attention. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my attitude with timescales is if you're too quick to respond to emails, you're going to be really setting an expectation that you can't meet all the time. Like you don't want to get into the habit of people expecting that when they send you an email, you're going to respond in a matter of minutes because mm. then every time they send an email, you're going to send a reply within a matter of minutes and if you then take an hour to reply to an email, heaven forbid, you might have had like 15 follow-up emails saying, are you gonna to reply to this? Mm. But I've not had a reply from you yet. So I think it's really important actually not to be that quick because also subconsciously it says something else as well. Absolutely. If you're going through a, a, a process of trying to convert someone into a new client and they send an email and within 30 seconds you've sent a reply, it doesn't look like you're very busy like what are you doing just sat in front of your computer with your inbox open waiting for emails to come in <laughs> like it doesn't look good mm -hmm. like my time frame for emails generally if an email is sent to me before midday then i'll aim to reply same day if an email is sent like mid-afternoon beyond then as long as i'm replying by the next morning like that's perfectly acceptable to me. Like there are some emails that might be really urgent and of course those need an urgent reply. But as standard rules, like you don't need to be rushing and, and making email response your number one priority. It's just not a, a good way of being. Mm. We actually noticed this on the delivery side as well. I can think of one particular client who we made the mistake of responding to their emails over a weekend and one of the ninjas actually jumped on a call with them over the weekend and from there on the expectation was set right ian works over the weekend yeah. and then in one particular situation where they'd sent us something on saturday hadn't had a response by monday morning i'm now getting emails saying this person's not responding to me i'm like wait hold on they're having a weekend with their family chill yeah no, I think it's really important to manage your to manage expectations. And yeah, one of the easiest ways of doing that is making sure your response times are not unrealistic. Because mm. um, yeah, it goes back to what you said before as well. You're you're setting up an expectation in the front end sales process that may not then be met when they become a client, and that's also a really bad thing. You don't want people to think that 
you're there constantly 24 hours a day to respond to their emails within a, a matter of a matter of hours and I won't be afraid to call people out on this as well mm. that's a really important point if someone sent me an email at midday and then sent me another email at like four o'clock saying I've not had a reply and it's just a standard email with some questions about something I'll say in my reply I'll always respond as quickly as I can to emails you'll always get a reply within a maximum of 24 hours normally much sooner than that but it's very unlikely that you're going to get a reply within like a matter of minutes mm. because obviously we're busy doing other things because you need to get that expectation managed I think you mm. don't want people yet yeah, thinking that you're just there to reply to emails instantaneously I suppose part of the reason that I mean I'm, I'm the same as you I tend to check emails once per day and it's as late on in the day as possible usually last thing but because you're being really clear with people and always giving them a next step in the email whether it's like a call booking link or whatever you shorten that interaction from maybe four to six different back and forth to maybe one or even just two yeah so actually the the length of process isn't increased significantly you're just working on on your terms and and you're making it a workable solution rather than just being a slave to your emails at all times yeah absolutely because again if people are wanting to speak to you on the phone something that we found before we introduced the call booking link like so much time is sucked up with like what I call answer phone table tennis like you're just ringing each other leaving messages like going back and forth over the course of an afternoon which is just a waste of everyone's time mm. like just click on the link book a time that works for you and I'll call you and like, what ends and then, up happening after a good old round of answer phone table tennis is someone just sends an email anyway just summarizing the points they wanted to chat about yeah true <laughs> <laughs> Wayne, this has been awesome, buddy. Thank you so much for sharing your email tips. No, you're very welcome. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Cool.